All right, um, go ahead and open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes, uh, or turn your Bibles on, whichever the case may be. Chapter 1, we're going to do a whole chunk of Scripture this morning in Ecclesiastes. But I've got props and stuff up here because kids are in here, and because why not add some more moving pieces to, to, to this Sunday. Um, uh, and, and, and hopefully it'll help these verses settle in well with us today. Now as you're turning there, last week we started this series in Ecclesiastes called Foul Territory. And, and, and what we're seeing in Ecclesiastes is that Solomon... Um, who is considered to be the author of this, or if he didn't write it, it's definitely someone wrote it wanting us to be in his shoes. Right? And what we saw is that Solomon started us on this journey with him to learn from him. Right? Because remember, Solomon, he was a guy who had it all. Right? And, and what he's going to show us is, is how do we live in a life where, this is the baseball analogy coming in, where foul balls often look like home runs, right? And, and last week I talked about this moment when you're watching baseball, particularly when you're, when you're at a game and, and, and a batter swings and hits the bat and, it, it, man, the, the ball hits the bat and it makes this perfect sound. You know that sound, right? That thwack sound. And the ball starts soaring, right? And you think this could be the home run. This could be the, the one that, that makes the difference. This could be the one that maybe wins the game. And, and as the ball is flying, it looks good, but then it starts descending, and sure enough, it lands in foul territory. And I talked about how in life there are things which seem really, really good, maybe even great, but in the end, they will leave us disappointed. And so what Solomon's going to show us is how do we live in this world where the things that God has designed and given to us, the things that will ultimately satisfy us, have these cheap substitutions called foul balls that look like they will satisfy us, but in the end will just leave us empty. Well, this is what we talked about last week, and this is the theme that's going to run through. And in each week, we're going we're to dive a little deeper into that and explore that. And what Solomon's going to do today is he's not going to hold back any punches. Let's, let's just let's jump in. Chapter 1, verse 12 says this, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I have applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Right? And so here's what Solomon has done. He's going to use his vast experiences, his vast wealth, his vast wisdom. He's going to use everything that he's got to see if anything will satisfy him. What he's going to do is he's going to take the premise from last week and say, okay, let's just, let's just see if this works. But here's what he's going to do. Like to, to use our, our foul ball and, and home run illustration, what he's going to do is he's going to change the rules. And he's going to say, what if I do this? What if instead of a foul ball being a foul ball and a home run being a home run, what if I switch? What if I call a foul ball a home run? Like, will that satisfy me? Is it just that we put the wrong labels on things? Right? And, 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 and to give you an example of, of this in, from my own life, in a, in a childish way, like literally when I was a kid, Rubik's Cubes. Had one? Have one? You don't have to raise your hand for this confession, but here's what I did with my Rubik's Cube to solve it. First, I took that thing apart. <laughs> right? A friend showed me how to take it apart. I took it apart, put it back together. Then I realized the stickers can come off. 
And so I took the stickers off, put them back on. Now my mom, keep in mind, my mom is an engineer, right? She built missiles for her job, working for Texas Instruments. She looked at my Rubik's Cube and said, what did you do? Because if you can imagine a 10-year-old putting stickers back on the Rubik's Cube, a 10-year-old who is not and never would be an engineer, it looked pretty obvious that I had messed that thing completely up. This is what Solomon is doing. He's taking the stickers off, putting them back on in a different place to see if it solves the puzzle. Now, if you're not a sports person, to, you know, the foul ball and, and, and home run illustration, here, I'm going to use a different one uh, for this sermon. Because here's what he's going to do. He's going to do an experiment to see if his experiment's going to work. Now, I've heard it said there's a, a God-shaped hole in our soul, right, that, that, that only God can fill. And we can, we can try and fill other things in it. And, and this is what this bucket up here is going to represent today. It's going to be like this God-shaped hole that's in each of our souls. And, and, and Solomon's going to talk about that next week as we, as we cover chapter 3. He's going to talk about that God has placed eternity in the hearts of man and they don't understand it, right? That, that God has placed eternity in all of our hearts as humanity and, and we grapple with it and we don't understand it. That's the God-shaped hole in our, in our soul. And what he's going to do is he's going to see if anything can fill this. Right? Can anything fill this to satisfy it? Right? Now, if this can happen, Solomon is just the right guy to show us. Because he's wealthier, he was wealthier than all of us combined and multiplied. Right? He had every pleasure available to him. He used wisdom to navigate life. Like if anybody could find the thing that's going to fill this bucket, it's him. But he gives us a spoiler. And if you're a science person, he, he gives us the abstract here before the research is done. Right? Look, at, look at verse 13. It says this. It says, and I applied my heart to seek and to search up by wisdom all that was done un under heaven. And it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity, a striving after the wind. Remember, there's that word again. Vanity is, is smoke. It is vapor. It is something that we can see but we can't hold on to. And he says, he says guess what? This experiment that I'm going to do where I'm going to search out everything to see what ultimately satisfies, it's, it's going to fail. It's just not going to work, right? But like a good scientist and a good math student, he's going to show his work, right? He's going to show us why it fails. He's going to show us how he came to that. And here's why he's going to show us, because y'all, Solomon is a good teacher, and what he doesn't want us to do is to come up with exceptions. He doesn't want us to go, you know, if he just said, I'm going to do this experiment and it failed, he's going to, we're going to, because this is how humans work, we're going to go, no, 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 it'd work for me if I did it. Because I bet you didn't try this. I bet you didn't try that. I bet you didn't try this. And I bet those things will ultimately satisfy. And he's going to show us wor his work to show us that, no, he tried it all. He tried stuff you can't even think about, Right? Because he wants us to know that this God-shaped hole in our soul, there's a lot of stuff that'll fit in it, but there's nothing that fills it except for God. Right? So look at verse 16. He says, um, 
Yes, he says, uh, I forgot verse 15. He also says, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. That's his way of saying this is the way God has ordained it. Right? I can't change the rules that I want to change. Verse 16. And I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this is also but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrows. In other words, what Solomon wants us to know here is that even in all of his wisdom, and remember, he is considered the wisest person in the world, right? And even, even in doing that, he's keeping his wisdom about him. So what he's saying is as he's doing this experiment, he wants us to know he's keeping his wisdom about him. And this stuff that he is experimenting with He's using wisdom and not letting that stuff have power over him, right? Because he wants us to learn from him. He doesn't want us to do it, right? Because he's saying, I used wisdom so that this stuff didn't overpower me, right? Okay, so let's look, let's look at the experiment. All right, so chapter 2 says this. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of, and of pleasure, what use is it? And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep adding things in here. And here's what I've got for this. This is a joke book, right, given to me uh, by Marty Torin, who is the king of, of like, one-liner jokes. And so he gave me a book to, to capture that. But here's what Solomon is saying. Solomon is saying, I tried laughter. Right? I tried enjoying myself. Right? I tried doing the things that would just make me happy, doing things uh, that would create a good time, telling jokes. And will it satisfy? And y'all listen, I love jokes. When I do my mic check on Sunday mornings, I tell a joke instead of te- saying test one, two, three. Do you want to hear what today's is? Okay, what do you do if, well, for, okay, okay, let me back up a little bit. I didn't say I was good at telling jokes. I just said I'd do it, right? Right? But, but, but okay, just, this isn't part of the joke. This is, this is just for real. Like, if a bear is approaching you, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to make yourself look big, right? Okay. What do you, this is part of the joke. Now, what do you do if a lion, what, what steps do you take? That's the question. What steps do you take if a lion is approaching you? Big ones. See, that, that's actually about the same laughter I got this morning. All right, thank you. So, so, so here's the deal. With everything that goes in here, right, this joke book, with everything that goes in here, what Solomon is going to show us is that this thing isn't bad in and of itself. But what's bad is when this thing that's in here becomes the thing that we try and fill this God-shaped hole in our soul with. And what I've seen as a counselor and what I've seen in my own soul, because I do love laughter and I do love having a good time, is when, is when I use that laughter and use that, that fun and good time to fill this God-shaped hole in my, in my soul, it, it, what it does is it, is it actually allows me, it gives me permission to ignore reality. 
right? Because here's what happens when, when good times and laughter becomes what fills, what you try to fill the God-shaped hole in your, in your soul with, is, is, it a, is you find yourself laughing when tears are more appropriate. You find yourself when things get uncomfortable, when very true and good and convicting things get uncomfortable, you want to make a joke because uncomfortable is, I mean, it's just uncomfortable, right? When you find yourself doing that, it could be that you're using this to fill the God-shaped hole in your soul. Let's see what else he tries. Verse 3, he said, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine and my heart still guiding me with wisdom how to lay hold of folly till I might see what is good for the children of men to do under, the, under heaven during the few days of their lives. And so here's, here's what he tried next. He tried wine, right? It's still full, in case you're wondering. See, I like to tell jokes when things get a little awkward because I have a bottle of wine in church, and that's awkward, right? And so I tell a joke. <laughs> but it could have been a bottle. No, it doesn't stop. All right. So, so here's what he does. With all of his wisdom, he says, listen, I, I tried alcohol. Right? Does that fill me? Does that satisfy me? But here's the deal. And, and, and I'm sure many in this room can attest to it. Again, you don't have to raise your hands. But the problem with letting alcohol fill this God-shaped hole in your soul is that the alcohol wears off. Right? And all you're left with is a headache at best, or worse, lots of worse. You see, Solomon's point is alcohol isn't the problem. It's becoming a god to you is the problem. Which is why Paul, in the New Testament, says don't get drunk on wine. It leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? And I always have to say that, you know, in certain crowds, that doesn't mean it's okay to get drunk with bourbon. <laughs> Do not get drunk, period. Right? But instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he tried, he tried alcohol. Right? Because what happens when alcohol becomes our God is it insulates us from our life. We use it so we feel numb. And that's not a sanctifying life. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says this. I made great works. I built, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Right? So here's what he does here. He tried art and architecture and even, even landscaping. He created vineyards to make the wine probably that, that he experimented with. Right? All of this is, is like artwork. Right? And I got this in Venezuela. I like to collect little pieces of art when I travel. I, he got that in Venezuela. It fits, but it doesn't fill. Right? If you notice, all of this stuff fits, but it doesn't fill. And no matter, no matter what we try to satisfy, no matter what we try to find satisfaction in other than God, here's the scary thing. It will fit in this God-shaped hole in our soul. But it will leave us empty. It will not fill it. And so with, with artwork, here's the deal. Artwork, you know, I, I collect it. As I, and when I say collect it, y'all, this, this is not a Picasso, right? This is some street vendor that I got it from. So I am not an art collector. But what it does, I mean, I guess technically I am. But what it does 
as I see this picture and it reminds me of stories, reminds me of people, reminds me of cultures, and that's what art does. It inspires, it creates, right? It, 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 it fuels curiosity, but when it's used to fill this God-shaped hole in our soul, what it can do is it can actually allow us to escape from the world that's around us, and we can create worlds of fantasy that we live in instead of the world that we actually do live in. It's why Michael Jackson created Neverland Ranch, because it was his imaginary world where everything was happy for him, not for the other people that were there. This is what using art does when we use it to fill the God-shaped hole in our soul. Let's look at verse 5. It says, and I made for myself gardens and parks and planted them. And planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made for myself pools from which water, uh, to, to which water the forest and the growing trees. And so here's what he did here. He, he created um, national parks, so to speak, right? It's this. Um, isn't that fun? Um, he <laughs> How many are wondering what else I've got in here, right? It's fun. Like, that's what he did. He created parks. He wanted to explore nature. Will be, and y'all, this preaches to Asheville, right? Will being in nature, can that be my God, right? And here's the deal. Nature is great, amen? And we can use nature to connect us to God. But the problem is if we use nature to fill this God-shaped hole in our soul, what it does is instead of being a place to connect to God, it actually becomes a God. And instead of communing with God through nature, we begin to commune with nature as God. And that's not how God designed it. He designed it to fit in this God-shaped hole in our soul, and to be used, but not to fill it, right? Look at verse 7. It says, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. And just a little pause here. When you read slavery in the Old Testament, you can't think American slavery. They're two very different things. They're both evil institutions, but very different. When we think of slavery as Americans, we think of slavery based on race, Slavery in the Old Testament was based on all kinds of things. It could be based on conquering a land. It could be based on somebody owing debt to someone so they're a slave for a while. But, but if a person followed the New Testament, it also meant there was freedom in their slavery, that there was a year where they would be released and done. And even though it was evil, right? I think we all can all agree with that. What we see as slavery isn't what he saw as slavery, Either way, it's not great, but I just want to acknowledge that there's a difference, right? Because here's where the similarities do lie. Because he said, I also, have, I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces, right? And so, so here's what he tried to do, and this is where the way we as a nation engaged with slavery, the way they engaged with slavery, this is where the two are similar. And this is, this is a lot of where the evil lies is humans were considered possessions. Because that's what he said. I bought people and I raised people in my, in my home to be slaves. And I had herds as well. 
And humans were considered positions. Y'all, I was with this. Uh, I, I, my wife owns a travel company, so I get the perks of traveling with her sometime. And I was listening to um, a presentation about this cruise line uh, that honestly has a history in, in plantations. And, and there's some, 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 some history there. And sitting next to me was this woman who's African-American. And, you know, I turned to her and I said, would you ever sell this to one of your clients? And, and she goes, well, the problem is when he talks about cargo that that ship used to move up and down the Mississippi, some of that cargo was people. And she said, I just don't think I can do that. Right? That's evil. When I looked at my own family history during the pandemic, one of the things that we did is like do this crazy deep dive on family history. And I found a will from one of my ancestors where he willed seven of his best Negroes to his son along with a certain number of cattle. You see, that's the evil of it, is that it sees humans as property, not humans as made in the image of God. But Solomon wants us to know he tried that. He tried it. He tried that. He tried accumulating wealth. He tried, he tried doing everything that money could buy. Right? But in, so here's what I've got for that. Because I'm not wealthy, I have a dollar bill. All right? So we'll stick that in there. Right? He tried everything. And, and here's the deal with wealth. Right? In his time, it was, it was appropriate to accumulate people and cattle and herds and, and, and money and all of this stuff. With us, we, we build 401ks, right? We build bank accounts. We build homes. We build, we build land. And the more we have of that, the more secure we feel. But y'all hear me. Your retirement account is an illusion because it could wipe away at any moment's notice. Does that mean you don't have one? No, get one. Pour money into it, but don't think for a second that that is your source of provision. God is. And when money is put in this bucket to see if it fills the bucket, what happens is, is that wealth becomes our security instead of God. And that's where the problem lies. You see, Jesus even talked about this. He talked about money almost as much as he talked about anything else. And he said, you can't love both God and money. You have to choose one or the other. And what that means is you can't give your life to both. You give your life to one and you use the other. Give your life to God and use money. Use money for everything you can use money for. I am thankful for the people in this church that have money to give. And I am thankful for the people in this church that have a very limited amount of money and still give anyway. And I'm thankful for the people in this church that don't have any money to give, right? Because this is Asheville and our mortgages are crazy, and I get it. But for those of you who do have money, use it to the glory of God. Because it makes a great resource for the kingdom of God. Money makes an awful God. All right. Let's, let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this, um, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. Okay, what have I got in here for that? <laughs> I got a microphone, because here's what he did. We got kids in here, y'all. He, he, what he did is he did the rock star life. 
right? Yeah. Right? He got singers. He lived a rock star life to see if that would satisfy his soul. And guess what? It fits, but it doesn't what? It doesn't fill. It fits, but it doesn't fill. Because here's the deal. If we try and use that rock star life to satisfy us, we begin to objectify people and make objects out of them instead of seeing them as humans. Look at verse 9. It says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Here's, here's what he does then. He becomes excellent at everything. That says, my time to shine, right? That's, that's, that's what he did. All right? I know. Can you tell I was like struggling here towards the end to come up with stuff? Right? But it works. All right? My time to shine. Right? He tried achievement. But here, y'all listen to me because this preaches. He tried achievement. He started living for, for people to say, good job. boy. I am so proud of you. Well done. He lived for his boss to make a compliment. He lived for his, his, his spouse, spouses, girlfriends, concubines, whatever you want to call it. He lived for them to notice the good things that he did and to tell him. And the problem is, that is great when it happens, but when we use that achievement and we use those, that, the, that, that uh, encouragement, right, which is good, when we use that to fill this bucket, all of a sudden it becomes this treadmill that we run on. That it creates this determination in us where we can actually get ahead of what God is doing instead of sitting back and waiting for God to do what only he can do. You see, achievement fits into this God-shaped hole in our soul, but it doesn't what? It doesn't fill it. Verse 10. Verse 10 says this, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them, which I think is an understatement. I kept my, I kept my heart from no pleasure, and my heart found no pleasure in all, the, in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. That I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had experienced in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And so here's what he tries last. Is he looks at his work. That's why I have work gloves. Right? He looks at his work and that's what toil means. Toil means work. And he looked at it and said, man, this work, I did a whole lot of it and it is good work. He created parks. You know, he created entertainment. He created all this stuff. And, and, and that in and of itself can be okay, but can also be evil when it's used to satisfy where only God can satisfy. Right? And his work, in this case, was being king. Your work could be anything. Your work could be your job, right? How many of you actually are working somewhere or working for someone? Yeah. It could be the fact that you are a student. Any students in here? Raise your hand. Yeah. That's your work, right? Right? It could be that you're a stay-at-home parent or a homemaker, and that's your work, right? And work is good. It's actually part of the experience that Adam and Eve had in Eden. They had jobs to do. Work is not a curse. Work can be a blessing. But when work tries to replace 
and tries to fill this God-shaped hole in your soul, it becomes something it was never meant to be. When that happens, work becomes this thing that defines us, right? Instead of being a follower of Jesus that defines us, right? And we know we've let our work fill this God-shaped hole in our soul when this happens. When that work stops, right? So, so students, if students become your work, guess what? You're going to be a 40-year-old student with multiple degrees. And I know him. He went to school with me because he couldn't bear the idea of school stopping. Be honest, that was not my problem, <laughs> Right? But if, if work, if your job is your God, when you lose your job, you ask the question, who am I? That's when it's become your God. If being a stay-at-home parent or being a homemaker is your God, what happens when that season of life is over? Do you know who you are? What happens when, when you want to be a, a spouse, when you want to be a parent, and God never allows that? Are you okay in your identity in Christ? You see, work of any kind can fit in here, but it can't what? Can't fill it. Work can fit, but it can't what, church? Fill. So where did this experiment leave Solomon? Let's look. Verse 12 says, So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. And then I saw that there was more to gain in wisdom than in folly. As there is more to gain in light than in darkness. And so here's what he lands. Here's where he lands. He said, listen, I applied my wisdom to all of this. And at the end of the day, it's better to choose wisdom than folly. It's better to, to walk in God's ordinances. And wisdom is the truth of God applied to life. It's where, it's where the things we know in the scripture doesn't just, don't just land in our head, but they actually change our lives and they change the lives of people around us. That is wisdom. And he says it's better to do that than to live this foolish life of trying to let things fill the God-shaped hole in our soul. Right? And, and I want to show you what happens when we live in the middle of this experiment Right? When, when we're tired of trying to fill this God-shaped hole in our soul and, and we're tired of seeing others and, and seeing our children and seeing our friends or maybe even our spouse fill this God-shaped hole in their soul with, with this stuff that's in here. Right? Look at verse 14. Verse 14 said this, says this, The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I perceive that the same events happen to all of them. And then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fools. Just like the fool. And so here's what he's saying. It's like, listen, at the end of the day, whether you choose wisdom or whether you choose folly, you're going to be forgotten someday. And look at where this leaves him. It says, so I hated life 
Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after the wind. I hated all, the, all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me and, and who knows whether he will, he will be, a wise, he, he'll be wise or a fool, yet he will be the master of all which I have toiled and, and use my wisdom under the sun. So in other words, I'm not even going to get to enjoy it the rest of my life. Somebody else is going to come. One of my, my sons, he's a fool, Right? He's crazy, and he's going to get it, right? And so I turned about and gave up my heart to despair over all the toil of my labors. And he goes on and on and on about saying this is what happens when we let these things try and fill what only God can fill, right? But this isn't where the experiment ends. Look at, jump down to verse 24. He says, and there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. In other words, all this stuff is fine. Enjoy it, but don't let it become a God. And then I also saw it as from the hand of God. Here's what's interesting. First time God is mentioned in this experiment right here. I saw all this as from the hand of God apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. For to the one who pleases him, God has given him wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity, striving after the wind. And so here's what he does. He looks at this and says, without God, anything can fit in here. But nothing can fill it. You see, Jesus, Jesus as he taught it was interesting. He taught one particular sermon to a group of people. And what's interesting is, is this group of people, uh, they didn't have uh, their own work. They were oppressed and they worked for other people. Um, they weren't the people that you would say attaboy to and, and good achievement. They didn't collect art. They didn't make parks. Um, they didn't have time to enjoy nature because they were the slaves uh, of, 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 of other people. They were the hard workers. They were oppressed. Uh, they probably did have wine because it was back then, but they they didn't have wine to indulge. They didn't have wine to enjoy, right? Because these were the people whose buckets were already empty. They didn't have money. They didn't have the rock star life. And their laughter was hard to come by. But what Jesus did to them is he gave one of the most famous sermons he ever gave. And in this bucket is a whole bunch of water that I hope doesn't knock this table over, right? Oh, that's... That'll be fine. That's fine. That's fine. It's just electricity running under the stage. It's fine. Where the rubber sold sandals, I'm okay. But what he did is, is in Matthew, he talked to these people and he kept using the word blessed. And blessed means that you realize that life with God through Jesus is the way you fill this bucket. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm going to do a bunch on that one, right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he said, he said, blessed are those who mourn, right? Because you shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for you will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because you will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, because you will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for you will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for you will be called the sons of God. 
Blessed are those, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, how many more do I have? Right? Rejoice and be glad when others revile you and utter, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Right? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Right? For though that's what the prophets talked about. This is what being blessed is. I, I really wanted to do it to overflowing, but because of the electricity under my feet, I'm not. Every, the truth about it, every illustration breaks down at some point, right? But the truth is, when, when we allow God to fill this bucket, not only does he fill it, but he overflows it. And he overflows it to us. He overflows it to, to help families that are raising kids. He overflows it to celebrate a baptism, which is what we get to do next. And we get to celebrate and, and, and rejoice in that. He overflows those buckets. And so, so if, if Jesus isn't the one who you're allowing to fill your bucket and you're using all different kinds of stuff, would you let today be the day you say yes to him? And if Jesus has filled your bucket and you still find there are these areas in your life where you despair, these areas in your life where you have angst, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to continue to pay attention to your soul. And this week, I want you to ask this question, right? And to see if you can find the answer to it. I can't be me without blank. What fills that blank? I can't be me without blank. Can you be you without money? Can you be you without alcohol? Can you be you without walking in nature? Can you be you without work? What fills that blank? Because what you're using to fill that blank, you're using to fill this God-shaped hole in your soul. Let me pray, and then we'll sing, and then we'll do a baptism. Are y'all in for this? Okay. All right, Jesus, you are good. You are really good. And, and Jesus, I pray that you would, you would use us and shape us and mold us to be the people you have created us to be. In Christ's name I pray, amen.